and welcome to this episode of Tones and Drones, an ambient music podcast. I'm Jason Miller, your host. Tones and Drones is produced in the studios of 91.3 at KVLU Public Radio. And my guest on the program today is trumpeter and flugelhornist Jeff Oster. Jeff Oster has a very unique role as a musician because he's um, an ambient horn player. Yes, he works in the very smooth and beautiful, relaxing uh, tones of his horn in with um, ambient soundscapes and he utilizes loops. And he's also collaborated with um, guitarist Will Ackerman, a founder of the Wyndham Hill record label. And we're going to be talking about his career, like how he got started and how he worked his way to the music, uh, his own music that uh, he creates and also a bit about a recent album that he recorded with Will Ackerman and Tom Eaton called Brothers. Uh, we'll have some selections from that album on the show, and as always, some excerpts from uh, Jeff's albums. So, up next, my conversation with Jeff Oster, here on Tones and Drones. Are you back in California now? Yeah, I'm in Alameda. Yeah, a little island off the coast of Oakland here in the East Bay, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been here since uh, end of May. And I'm actually leaving leaving at the end of this month to go. I have a place in Vermont, a little cabin. I always go there in the uh, fall. (coughs) Forgetting. And uh, and then I go back to Mexico in uh, November. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, as we roll into it, you know, one of the things to listening to you <coughs> on, a, on an interview with Bet Hilton. So if people are listening yeah. in, you know, Spotted Peccary Label and a lot of the guests, have, she's helped out this podcast a lot. You know, I was, it, it, I was, you know, your travels and like going back to Vermont kind of connects you to Will Ackerman in a way. And, and, yes. and then, and then being in California and your place in Mexico, you know, it's, like, um, I just was really feeling like the locales that you visit or important part of your life. And that probably translate into in, translates from your life into your music. And that's kind of all intertwined. These, these places that you spend time with time at and with, I guess you could say throughout the year. Yeah. Well, you know, there, it's actually interesting stories around all of them to some degree. And, and, and almost every one of them or, or every one of them has to do with sort of following the music, you know, okay. in, in okay. the sense that Mexico actually because of will ackerman who invited me down there in 2007 yeah. and i happened to bring a horn and was able to play uh uh, uh sit in with different places and and then uh, there turned there's a music festival that happens at the last weekend in february every year and it's been going on for about 20 years so since 2007 i've been going back for a couple of weeks at a time yeah. at the end of uh, february to play the festival Okay. And now, you know, I have a couple of kids who are now, you know, in their one's about to go back to college here at the end of the month uh, in Massachusetts. And the other one's uh, older. My son, he's a musician as well. So I'm no longer sort of driving them to high school. So I've, now Mexico has gone from two weeks 
to a month to two months to three months. And now it looks like it might be as much as six months here this time, you know? Okay. So, so, but the whole, you know, and I developed a whole bunch of friends. It's a small town, only 2000 people called San Pancho. And, um, you know, I've got to meet a lot of people there. So, and they're there every winter. It's kind of like summer camp, but in the winter for, uh, for people my age, you know, and they're, late fifties and, you know, early sixties and older even. And there's, there's some young kids too, but you know, that, that they're, they're in different, not quite the same. So, so San Pancho is in Mexico is, is sourced from, you know, Will Ackerman and, okay. um, and also, um, also from the, the festival that's down there. And then Vermont, uh, you know, I have one of my oldest friends from uh, junior high school lives in, in a town in Vermont where I would visit him. And back in 1994 or five or something, 1994, I bought a cabin there. Uh, and to, basically, I've always wanted to have a little cabin in the woods. I, par, I grew up in a bunch of different places in the United States. And one, one of the places I, I grew up in was in Massachusetts uh, for about four years when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, like that. And so I have an affinity for New England. So I bought this place, a little cabin in the woods uh, in 1994, and I didn't meet Will um, until 2003. And it turns out the cabin is about 45 minutes north of where Will's studio is, which okay. is just totally random. So Vermont, you know, it equals uh, Will Ackerman that way. But that wasn't the reason I went there, you know, although it's turned out to be that way. <laughs> and then the Bay Area and, you know, California, as, as I moved out here in 79 to do music, lived in L.A. for about 20 years. And I've been up here in the Bay Area since 1990, uh, 1998. I have, you know, I basically raised a family here and um, still work here doing my financial planning stuff and also have my band up here back when we used to be able to play out you know there were right. there was that there was that so yes mm -hmm. you know i the thing about the thing about um about vermont it it seems like um it, it seems like you know one of the things when i was i was um just looking you know listening to your music and and also just looking at your career like yeah. your journey is um your journey fascinated me because, you know, the music that you that you play now, the, the style and, and and that that you've developed over the years, it it, it took some time getting there. I mean, it, it seems like there were there were years that you were as a horn player, you were doing a lot of different kind of music. Some that people might expect horn players to be involved in, you know, horn sections and and different genres associated with that. Right. And, and and then at the same time, though, your uh, you're listening to, you know, the music of Wyndham Hill and, and like a, a slower, more meditative style of music. And you, you got there. And uh, I think mentioning also your work in, in the financial world, you had mm -hmm. a plan to be able to, um, I don't know how you would say it. You had, you, had a, you had another whole facet of your life that I'm sure like assisted your music or, or being able to do the music that you want to and to be able to travel with it and, and, and release it, right? I mean, it just, it's a very unique journey. If, I mean, obviously, I, I, it's like, it's actually a question, how did you get here? <laughs> but it's this, you well, know. Well, I mean, you're describing it in, 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 in a way that, that is you, uniquely, you know, uh, uh, describing my, my uh, sort of, it's like a, a random path with a plan. Random right? path with a plan, right. Because, I mean, I mean, it, it, yeah. Right, right. I mean, and, and you know, you got to look back to, 
when I first moved to LA in 1979, I was, I don't know, 22 years old or something like that. And I'm, you know, go there with my horn and I'm going to, you know, be a musician. Yeah, so you're trying to I make there. it, right? It's like, yeah, that, oh, you know, I'm going to exactly. make it. I'm going to be a professional be horn player. Be, be the next Herb Albert. Exactly. Sure. Exactly, sure. right? So, but, but you know, in order to make a living, um, I, I started to do, you know, a lot of top 40 music and I'm Vegas and Atlantic City and Lake Tahoe with a, uh, you know, an R&B band playing all, all bunch of cover music and weddings and bar mitzvahs, the whole thing, right? Sure. And I was working, you know, five nights a week from nine at night till 1.30 in the morning at these clubs and, and um, it was fun. But then after about, you know, 10 years of that or eight years of that, I started to realize I was going to I was making, you know, $12,000 a year. I, I was leaving less. And, and I, I said, well, and the only way out of that would have been to start doing original music. And, mm-hmm. and, and in, in L.A., especially to do original music, unless you got there with a band, you have to hire people and pay them. And you have to be able to, and many times, uh, play at a club, pay to play at a club where you're doing original music until you have a following that actually you get some of the ticket. Uh, sales right so i didn't have any money i mean i was you know just enough to live on basically and i said and i got to the point where it was a uh you know i'll never forget it it was like a tuesday night there were five people in this dive bar up in uh the san fernando valley and to save money i would bring a bottle of vodka in my trumpet case and i would get a a a cranberry juice for free uh from the bar and i'd go behind a kick drum and make myself a drink and I remember watching myself do this. I said, man, there's, this is not going to end well. This is just, there has, to, there has to be a better way than this. Just has to be, right? So, so I, I ended up, um, uh, one of my day jobs for the longest time was I was a limo driver. Actually, okay. it was one of the first jobs I ever got there was as a limo driver. And um, one of my limo driver buddies became a stockbroker. And he convinced me, because by then I was selling office supplies on the phone. He convinced me. Uh, said, you're good on the phone. You should be a, a broker. And I said, dude, I never took a finance class in my life. You know, I, no. And then he comes over with a bunch of study material. And long story short, I became a started doing financial planning, you know, cold calling the Beverly Hills phone book in uh, 1987. Right. And I had this overall plan that's OK, I'm going to make money now. And I'm going to be able to, to hire the people I want to hire and the producers I want to hire, make my own music. Right. So there's all that. So I sort of stopped doing top 40. I did a little stand-up comedy for a while, actually, okay. after that. Um, right. And I kept playing the horn, but I, I really wasn't doing a lot, you know, with it. And certainly playing out, I was just focusing on making money and building up uh, uh, savings and stuff. And, and so during all that time, you know, my the music I would listen to, even though I loved, you know, R&B and funk and Michael Jackson and all that stuff. But I also love Pink Floyd and Yes and and the Orb and a whole the whole prog rock thing was very uh, I loved it very much. And I've always been known as a trumpet player um, uh, for my tone. Right. The sound of the horn, as opposed to high note Maynard Ferguson kind of trumpet playing or uh, super fast Dizzy Gillespie bebop stuff or, or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, Freddie Hubbard type stuff. I, I, I'm neither of those, right? And I always was sort of good at tone. Okay. So during all this time, when I discovered Wyndham Hill, which was up in Oregon, discovered Will Ackerman in 1979, some friend of mine, guitar player up there, turn me on to it takes a year you know one of his first albums yeah 
And from then on, you know, from 1979 all the way up until 2000, you know, I would sit in my house and jam along to these Wyndham Hill records. I would just play on with Will, not so much Wyndham Hill records, but Will's records, right? Okay. Add my horn to the uh, to the uh, guitar playing that he would do. And then sort of, you know, going along from, you know, 1987 until about 2003, when I, A, had saved up enough money, I thought. B, I had bought a Sony computer back in 2001 or something like that, that had um, screen blast acid uh, digital audio workstation on it with for windows right very much like garage band early garage band but for windows computers and i started playing around with it and i started to uh go onto the internet and find these royalty free loops mm. of um of uh eight bar keyboards and eight bar bass and eight bar drums and i would uh and you could sort them by genre so I would find these loops that would be ambient and soundscapey, right? Okay, and I started sure. building up these little tracks inside of, and I also got a, a copy of a Fruity Loops. And I started Ooh, making loops. loops with Fruity Loops, yeah, right? Bell Studio. Exactly. That's exactly yeah, and now, now it turned into that, yeah. Right. And so I, I, I put all that into this workstation and I'd make these sort of soundscape, you know, mellow soundscape things. And, and by then I had two kids and they would go to sleep. And then at about two in the morning, I would go down to my little studio. And I didn't know anything about how to record into a computer. So all I had was the little plastic mic that comes to the Windows computer, right? Yeah, the, little the little talking mic, right? Mic. So, so I would stand in the back of the room with my mute in at two in the morning and play along with these tracks I would make. And then I'd slather it with reverb, right? Just totally make it all echoey. You never know how crappy the sound quality was. I couldn't get too close to the mic because it would completely overload it, all that stuff, right? So I, I did this and I started making tracks. I started making these songs that way. And back then in about 2000, 2001, there was this website called mp3.com. Uh-huh. Right? It was I one of the first, one. right? One of the first websites where they allowed you for free to make an artist website, right? You know, precursor to yeah, MySpace you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, way before things. that, right? Yeah, Bandcamp, totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But and and what 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 happened is that they had a distribution network. They had a charts, um, um, and I and they would give you good data on who would upload or stream your music. And I was starting to get 40,000 and 50,000 streams a month on this thing. And I started to have these songs that would be number one on their ambient charts, okay. right, um, for months. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, um, whatever I'm doing here, which was really in my wheelhouse, which is really chill and mellow and echoey and tone and all that stuff, right, this, this um, is resonating clearly in different places, um, and then one day I'm at my, um, uh, office with my day job, with my suit on, I was, a, 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 a president of a division of Aon corporation at the time, right. Which is this big fortune 250 company. And I doing my financial plan. So I'm sitting in my cube with my suit on and I go to Wyndham Hills website, uh, thinking I'm going to show these, I want to get these songs, you know, out there in some way bigger than just what I'm doing. So I um, 
Wyndham Hill at that time, I realized was not really an active label anymore. It's more like reissues of different stuff. But then Will Ackerman's, Will Ackerman's website was linked to the Wyndham Hill one. So I went to Will's website. And I sent him an email. Will is interested in producing your music. I'm like, okay. So I sent this email. Your music has been the soundtrack of my life for the last 20 some years. And I always told myself if I had enough money to hire a good producer and make my music that I would do that. And I'd like to send you my music basically. And he wrote back in like five minutes and I'm like freaking out. Like I'm a total fanboy, right? Like just, Oh my God, here's this guy whose music I played with for, you know, literally 20 years, 20, you know, two years or something like that, more than that, even almost 30 years, right? Uh, Writing me back. And long story short, it turns out that his place was 45 minutes south of my cabin. um, (laughs) And I was going that summer to my cabin. And I asked him if I could come see him, which he said yes. So it was like driving to his studio was like going to Mecca, right? I'm driving up this hill and he's got this beautiful 200 acre uh, property there where he's built you know, because he's a, he's an amazing carpenter. Well, okay, that's oh, wow. how it got okay. started. He got okay. started as Wyndham Hill Builders, and then his his card said Wyndham Wyndham Hill Builders and Records. Oh, when he started to write, it uh, came from that. Okay, in Palo Alto, out in California. In pa- right? Cal- so yeah, he just the old the old uh, building place and record label that old thing. You're right. You know that's very yeah, common. Yeah, Everybody yeah, does yeah, that. Sure, they start right? out in in, in construction. Right. And it turns into an accidental record company that he ends up selling for, you know, tens of millions of dollars to, you know, BMG and Sony and all that stuff down the road, uh, sure. all by accident in a way. That's no, never, never really the plan. It started with 300 of his records uh, that he pressed up uh, playing in some reverby place in uh, Palo Alto, you know, at Stanford when he was going there. So 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 I go there and, and he listens to, you know, I give him my little CD of these four songs that were charting really high on mp3.com. And and he's like, yeah. Uh, you know, after he listened to it, he wrote to me saying, your stuff is actually good. And have you ever heard of Eric Satie and blah, 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 you know, this sort of, and he says, and don't listen to anybody else. Just do what you're doing. Uh, don't let anybody else influence what you're doing. Right. It's because I, you know, I was from a trumpet playing standpoint, I'm had sort of landed in this place that for me was what I, cause I wasn't trying to, wasn't trying to sell it at that point right i wasn't trying mm-hmm. to oh what is the hot thing to do oh i should do smooth jazz as a trumpet player or i should do standards you know jazz standards because that's what everybody else does and that's how you get a record deal kind of a thing right so i was just doing the stuff i felt like doing um that that felt good to me right sure so we make this arrangement after i give him the cd i come back this was in 2003 in, the, in august i come back in december and i record a four song ep with him called uh, at last yeah, the at last yeah right exactly the very first one and uh, and and it was 50 years old and um took me a long time to make an album you know and i started to learn about who does the reviewing in that world and how to make a record company i made my own record company and i figured out how to do publishing and all this stuff as i went along right and distribution at that time was cd baby basically and burnside and you know yeah, borders and all these other places where they had physical stuff right and 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 then i i started to 
reach out to these different reviewers and radio stations. Echoes with John Diliberto is a, still quite active, and he's one of the largest syndicated guys like that. Him in uh, Hearts of Space, you know, with uh, Stephen Hill. Stephen Hill sure. and, you know, and, and, and they started to, they liked my stuff. They started to play it. I started to appear on some of these little charts and these lists, year-end lists, and I was getting encouragement, you should make a full album. So I went back in 2005 and added... Uh, 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 five more songs to to the four that was on it last and called it released. And that was my, my first full album. So it's ended up, uh, interestingly, that I'm sort of known as, this is getting back to how you first started this uh, question, right? As a new age trumpet player, right? Very and specific. I, I, there's not There's not a lot of people. No, they're not. And, 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 and part and, of it is the Will know. Ackerman, you know, Mark, Mark Isham. And then, and then I've Isham. learned, yeah. right. You know, I've learned okay. as, as time has gone by of like Nils, Petter Mulvair and John Hassel and um, Hassel, um, yeah. uh, Till Bronner, Till some Bronner. of these, some you know, yeah. some of these people out 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 of that are that are in this sort of feeling, right? Yeah. But there's not a lot of us like that. There's just not. And 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 I and I got associated with the new age part of it because of my association with Will, right? Yeah. It's yeah. And, you know, and, and when I started, even in the very beginning, when I started talking to DJs. Uh, trying to, to to share this new music I was making, they would say uh, a new age flugelhorn player. Really, really, is that what you are? What is that? You know, I've never heard of that. It's mostly you know like Native American flute and synthesizers and you know some guitar, like you know the Will's versions of guitar and all that stuff. So I've landed and sort of still am only in this world now, um, relatively uniquely, right? 
Um, and it's because I have this day job that has given me the financial freedom that I, for better or for worse, I am allowed to sort of stay here in this uh, a pocket that I, I happen to have landed in, you know, and it's yeah. and, and sometimes I, I it's a little frustrating because from a live performance standpoint, if I want to get booked in a lot of places, right, if I want to work live with live music, um, if I played smooth jazz, there's a very active smooth jazz concert uh, scene and club scene and radio scene. You know, there's a, there's a much more of a broad billboard Nielsen reporting radio scene for smooth jazz or in the Chris Bode kind of a world for uh, standards and, 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 and um, a jazz uh, flavored clubs. There are still some jazz clubs, but to show up as Miles meets Pink Floyd yeah. um, with a band that's sort of this space music in a way, they don't know what to do with it. You know, I don't fit. I'm sort of like a fish out of water. I don't fit in the smooth jazz world so much, even though I could do that. But I just don't don't do that. I don't fit in the straight ahead jazz world so much because I'm not a straight ahead jazz guy and I'm not doing standards. So I found things like the San Pancho Music Festival and clubs here in the Bay Area and and uh, other places where I've just sort of shown up with a band that plays my stuff. And it okay. and it the, the live vibe is much more like weather report or return or return to forever something like that. It's uh, if I dare compare myself to those uh, fabulous groups, you know, that's the vibe live at least for me. Well, you, put out, you, well yeah. you put out well no you put and you have a live album and so people, yes exactly listen list to a live album they can get that part totally. of that that fusion or whatever. I mean because yeah, I hear a lot exactly. of things I hear a lot of things in your music and um and and have having played horns myself there's something about the horns in that space in, in mm -hmm. the world of 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 space music and and ambience is kind of a broad-based term i think nowadays it doesn't really necessarily put people in much of a pigeonhole as say the term new age does now yeah they but call it ambient right it can ambient because ambient's pretty expansive now i mean it yeah. pretty much is and um on this show we try to kind of realize that and yeah. um but the horn is it I mean, it's always made sense to me. I mean, just the, like you mentioned, the tonality, the mm -hmm. spaciousness, the drawn out part of the tone, the way the trumpet plays melodies and the melodies that you write. I mean, right. I, I get it. And it's like, um, it's very, it, it's very, um, it's very beautiful. And it's like that it drew me, what drew me to your music, I think, is the unique place that you sat in as nice. a horn player and the choices that you made and the composition things that you did. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and, and mentioning, you know, um, straight ahead jazz to what was your uh, just going back a bit um, as a as a as a horn player? What was your background of study? Um, you know, classical styling, jazz school bands. I mean, what was your background in 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 uh, in playing brass? So I started when I was eight years old and okay. uh, I was living in Illinois at the time. So I was at at. Um, so I was in school, you know, went into the band, you know, instrument room. And this was back uh, when um, the tax base must have been high enough where they would let you choose the instrument without having to rent it. Right. Sure. And I remember going, I can still see it. I like going into the band room and looking at all these instruments in there and their cases. And, and I remember just seeing the horn 
um, trumpet uh, sitting there with its velvet case on the inside. And, and I remember taking it home and, and telling my parents that I wanted to play the melody. That was sort of my thing, right? So from eight years old until about 12, I took school lessons. They actually had lessons in, in the actual elementary school and junior high school uh, 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 schools I was in. Because so I moved from uh, Illinois to uh, Rhode Island and I took lessons there. And then I moved to Massachusetts, Framingham, Massachusetts, um, where there I started to take private lessons at a, at a music store. Um, and I also, they had a community band where I started to play that. And it was mostly, you know, the, the teaching I started in the private teaching, I started to play a little bit of the, you know, sort of jazz standards along with, you know, just the basic uh, uh, classical studies, you know, that you learn the, the exercises and stuff. Sure. And then, then I moved to Miami, uh, uh, Florida, uh, Coral Gables specifically. And, and at that time, they had a very, very um, well-known uh, best in the state band program, uh, marching band and concert band program. So um, my high school band, there was a, a, a band director named William Ledoux. Uh, they call him Uncle Willie. Mm -hmm. And he, they would, we, it was, there were 200 people in the, in the band program. They would, they would have hundred people marching as instrumentalists and another, you know, 80 or so that were like flag uh, um, flag uh, the people yeah. and, and, and rifles and, and the flags, all that color stuff. guard. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we would, this guy, this band director, he, he, first of all, he did all the choreography for the orange bowl halftime shows. Okay. So, so all we right. would, every one of his bands would be a part of the halftime show. Every one of his bands would be in uh, the orange bowl parade. Um, and, and we'd go to uh, uh, marching band uh, uh, competitions and co and concert band competitions all throughout uh, the United, uh, well, throughout Florida, really. Yeah. But he also would take the band to uh, out of the country. Like we went, to, I when I was there in my sophomore year, we went to Europe. We played like five yeah. five countries wow. in sixteen days, and incredibly formative, amazing stuff. And the concert bands in the winter time when you wouldn't march, uh, it was this hundred piece orchestra that was amazing. I actually have on my SoundCloud. Uh, page a recording of that band in 1975 when i when i graduated of uh, playing the william tell overture okay wow. and 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 he would we would do that at the at the at the uh, uh state level state contest level and then he would make a, an lp a literally a vinyl record that that every band member would get so this is a, a, a digital copy of one of those vinyl records where you can actually hear it, you know, popping and stuff like that. But it's amazing that you would never believe it's a high school band. Right. But so to sit in the So all of that is to be said is much more um, uh, classical than sure. jazz. Sure. OK, sure. And so, all right, so then I decided after I graduated high school, I'm going to go be a music major. So I go to the University of Miami where my uh, they have an amazing a jazz program and they also have a classical program so i go there i audition for the classical uh instructor and i get in i audition for the jazz band leader whose guy was the, his name was Whit seidner was his name and i do this audition and he he says to me um you would have to go back and practice for 12 more years 12 hours a day to be able to play in my band is what he said to me. Wow. Okay. Like, and I'm like, you know, wow, dude, really? Yeah. So, so it's quite, was quite formative actually for me in the sense that it's like, okay, uh, what do I do with that? 
Well, I, 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 what I ended up doing was when I, when I released my first album, uh, at last, the little EP, I did liner notes. And one of the liner notes said, uh, thanks to uncle, uncle Willie for believing in me. And thanks to Wit Seidner for not. <laughs> I put that in the liner and I mailed him a copy of it. I, this was a long time. This is from 1975 to 2004. Yeah. Right. But, but I didn't care, man. You know, dude, you know, really. So, 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 but, but, so what ended up happening from then onward, right? is I sort of fell into, back then in the 70s, I was playing in bands that would play Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears and- Sure, the and, horn and, bands. And all right, horn bands, exactly. Chase yeah. and all those bands. Right. Oh, yeah. I love Chase. Yeah. Chase, Chase was, was incredibly a... formative for me. I, oh, Bill cool. Chase, yeah. And frankly- That's cool. You know, Bill Chase, yeah. you know, was a lead player yeah. for Maynard Ferguson, a super high note guy, and, you know, right. uh, you know, West Texas State and all that. Frankly, one, one of the flute players from my high school band went to Lamar. Oh, she, wow. She now she now okay. is an orchestra uh, uh, um, director up in Nashville. Charmion Rayfield, her name is. Um, cool. I'm not quite sure what she's doing. I haven't talked to her in a long time, but I know she went to Lamar and nice. graduated from there and in the music program. Right? A solid one here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And did back then, too, as well. And 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 so uh, from then on, I sort of well, first of all, I've never been drawn to straight ahead jazz. I love Miles. I love yeah. Bill Chase. Frankly, when you listen to some of my stuff, when you listen to Bill Chase's stuff, it's very much like his arrangements are like Bach, right? Where he yeah. has these cascading yeah. uh, figures where there'll be like a long notes and then the horns are cascading down and he only did trumpets. He only had four trumpets, right? right. And my stuff is like a, a two octave down slow motion version of Bill Chase arrangements. <laughs> it really is. And, I, and I've often thought of that as I've created these things and the I'll make a, a melody line and I'll make harmonies to them. And I'll think of like sort of the Bill Chase um, 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 counterpoint stuff that he would do. Right. But but like I said, like uh, with a flugelhorn and down a, a couple octaves, you know. Right. Um, yeah. So so I've sort of landed in this place where I'm comfortable. And part of me, I feel a little like I'm a little lazy, like I, I should woodshed on how to play chords and 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 figures through chords and and bebop stuff and all those you know those uh, phrases and stuff that that they, that people do read changes and i believe me i've thrown myself into some jazz situations before where it's been i've been so over my head it's been ridiculous i played once with jimmy smith like the famous uh, hammond player jimmy smith yeah, the sermon he had, yeah yeah he had a he had a supper club in in uh, in the San Fernando Valley when I was uh, when I was young, when I first moved there, twenty two years old, and he had these jam nights where the, the horn players would get in line and they'd go up and play sixteen bars and the band would be playing and then the next horn guy would get up another sixteen bars another sixteen bars so I'd get up there I never didn't know anything about jazz nothing about jazz and no way in my head to have known what sixteen bars was to build a solo that where I could even find one. So I would just start playing, 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 playing. It's almost like, you know, uh, trumpet diarrhea, right? Just playing yeah, yeah. so much so that Jimmy would look over and say, get off the stand, you know, you know, you know <laughs> get off, you know, you know, and I'd go back to the end of the line and go do it again. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, all that stuff, you know, but I sort of landed on the thing that I, as a trumpet player, um, um, I like. And that's sort of in 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 a in a in a almost lazy way is good for me, right? It fits in what I do. 
Yeah. And uh, this is a long-winded answer, but I'll give you another little thing that would sort of led me to, 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 to own what I do this way. Yeah. As a limo driver, I used to drive a lot of uh, country music uh, um, uh, celebrities, uh, artists. And one of them was Mel Tillis, the, the country singer, uh, famous songwriter, had his own you know bands and stuff like that for years, and amazing guy. And he started um, in, as a... In, on a farm in Florida, basically, and, you know, grew up to, you know, he wrote Ruby, Don't Take the, Your Love to Town and Coca-Cola Cowboy. And, and he had his own, you know, completely successful career and also as a publisher, businessman. So I got inspired one time when I was driving him limo driving. Right. And I, I wrote a song that I, about his life called I Sing My Love Songs. It was a country song. I made a country demo of it. And this, and a lot of the t beginning time in LA, I was doing singer-songwriter stuff. I met a, a keyboard player and he would do the chords and I would do the lyrics. <coughs> it wasn't even any trumpet um, uh, instrumental music at all. When I was starting to do originals, it was always as, um, uh, in the beginning, singer-songwriter stuff. So I do this song, I play it for him. He says to me, well, boy, I don't believe that one's going to make it. And then later that night, I picked him up. He was out. He'd been drinking. He goes, you know that song that you'd, uh, you played for me um, earlier? I'm like, yeah. <coughs> he said, that's the worst song I ever heard in my life. And I, I and, you know, in the back of the car, and I'm looking through the rearview mirror, and I, I said, why? He goes, you wrote a song about me, um, and you're not me. He goes, when Johnny Paycheck writes a song um, about bar fights, he's been in those bar fights. He's fought in bars before, and that's what he writes about. He goes, you have to write about what you know about. Okay? So, so that's applied two ways. First way was I broke up with a girl not long after that. I wrote a song called Goodbye that he ended up publishing. Because it was real. Okay? And, and secondarily, and probably more applicable now, I've landed on that I play what I know about. I, I, I own my, my expression as a horn player, right? I know that I, there's always going to be somebody that can play higher, that can play faster, that knows more changes, that any number of things, right? Or even play softer and more beautiful, right? But, I, but there's only one Jeff, you know, Oster, right? There's only, I know my, where, where I live in it. And, 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 and frankly, it's the thing that feels the best to me when I play. I write songs in, in the, in the, in the uh, range of what I play well, right? And it, so it fits. I'm very comfortable there. I, it makes me happy, you know? It, it, it fits me, really. It's great. Yeah, I, there's a lot of good nuggets in there, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And, 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 yeah. and I, I appreciate those because the... To me, your music shows that, you know, and I, I was, um, I, I was looking at, um, um, I guess kind of going in maybe to, to how the music's, how you produce the music a little bit. Uh -huh. That's changed. Cause looking in the, looking in the album, I, I, I like, I've, I've got the, the CDs too here and looking at the album and seeing how you still, you still employ some loops, you still employ yeah. some programming you know, in the yep. liner notes, but also you've got, you've got um, real instruments, lack of a better term yep. uh, around you too. And, um, and the, uh, and then there was a story that you conveyed in an interview that I listened to where 
I don't know if this was, I guess, working with Will Ackerman, working with Tom Eaton, who people might know from being a great recording engineer, Wyndham Hill, and also an instrumentalist, telling you to just play a note. You told that story. Uh, he told you to play a note and then yeah. play another note. And he was yeah. building a project off that. And mm -hmm. I was fascinated by that because it was kind of like, for me, it was kind of opening up how your, how your composition had changed and how you know maybe they gave you different ways of seeing it and then you still use your you know still build sync with your loops and your programming and i just wanted to ask you maybe about that particular building that project working with tom like that <coughs> maybe being it's i mean i was kind of gleaning from it you might have been a little bit out of your comfort zone how do i start this how do i start this project how do i start this composition you know well, yeah. and you just yeah. find a note and then just go from there i mean that was what a interesting way to to build some music. I, I, up until my last two albums, because uh, uh, Reach is the album before this one that I've done now with, I'm, and I'm not talking about Flow, um, although Flow fits in more with uh, how I, I've built records and, and done records um, uh, up until Reach and now uh, with Brothers, right? Yeah. Um, what I would do is I would sit in my house very much like I did in the very, very beginning. And I would make uh, songs out of loops um, I'd build them all up. Uh, and then I would uh, find a horn part, a horn line. And then I would arrange these songs in such a way where there'd be a, you know, a, a verse and then it'd be a chorus and then it'd be a little spacey section. And then they'll come back to the chorus or come back to the verse kind of a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would have these things. I would write out, literally write out the horn parts. Um, at my house, uh, af as I after I recorded them or as I recorded them, um, along with these loops, and then I would go over to uh, Will Ackerman's studio, um, and I'd show up with these loops, and we would basically then replace the bass loop with a real bass player, whether it's T Bone Wolk or Michael Manring or. Um, uh, Chuck Rainey, um, uh, some of the bass players that I've used on some of my things, right? Or we get a, a, a real drummer instead of the drum track, or we do a combination. We keep some of the loops and add a real drummer, add a real guitar player. And then Will would know uh, uh, like cello players, like Eugene Friesen quite often is a cello player that's there. And and I used with Philip Hauberg, uh, it's a keyboard player on on some of the stuff and Catherine Marie Charlton on on, on a few. And, and um, uh, Tom's played a little bit that way. And so we'd replace them with real musicians, right? But I would show up with already uh, songs, actually a whole album worth of songs that we would then basically, re and I would re-record all my horn parts. I recorded them at my house. I would re-record them at Will's studio, who's got, you know, awesome microphones for uh, recording acoustic music, uh, mostly guitar, but, um, you know, Tom especially. And Corin Nelson, who was the engineer there before Tom, uh, were quite adept at capturing. You know, I, I, I can't think of a better place to get the full horn sound um, than the kind of miking and preamps and all the things they use over at Imaginary Road um, because of their acoustic focus. You know, that's I mean, they're mostly acoustic, right? So it, it, and, you know, the horns acoustic, obviously. So so. All of the, I would do that with every album. I did it with Released. I did that with uh, with True. I did that with the Next. Um, I um, uh, I would show up with these uh, these uh, pre-recorded or pre-done songs, already arranged songs, and then replace them with re add real people to them, basically. 
and then mix it and release it. Surrender, same thing. Um, although Surrender was a little bit more starting with Brian Kerrigan was more towards making the stuff up as we would go along. Uh, we would work, sit there together and make the, 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 the electronic tracks. And then I play my horn over those there with Brian. That was the first time I sort of showed up without a bunch of songs. I had a few that were pre-done, but we also started to create some there in the studio, but with reach, for example, um, I showed up there and, um, with Ruslan Sirota, who's a LA-based, um, amazing Grammy-winning uh, piano player, Stanley Clark, and a bunch of other people, and uh, he's an amazing producer, and he knows a bunch of really cool LA studio guys, and 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 we came up with this idea of showing up. Uh, we went over, uh, made a sound, uh, uh, made a Spotify playlist of these different sort of chill tracks that I listened to, right? and having nothing to do with what I do, but just songs I like, feelings I liked. And he, he, he brought together these studio guys that for, for in one day, we, they did 10 songs by just capturing a vibe and just jamming while Rustin would say, okay, now just guitar and me, because he would be playing the keyboard in the, uh, in the, in the control room. And they go, okay, now the full band. Okay, now drum breakdown here. And he would call it out. And these guys were so good that they would sort of flow with this, right? So he did this and he, he organ and this was again, not one written note that they made up all the basic, you know, uh, uh, like I used to do with loops, but this was live in the studio, edited all that together. Uh, I came back a couple months later and spent three days just blowing my horn over all that stuff. Um, and with Rustlin directing me and then he edited that and then that's what reach came from. So that was the first time I ever did anything that did not have a pre uh, written songs. So now you get to brothers where last year, I guess it was last year, I had recorded with uh, Will and Tom somebody else's session I did an overdub on. And I came up with this idea that I wanted to make an album with me and Will. And um, when you listen to some of my previous albums, I'm released, there's two songs, on True There's One, on Next There's One. These songs uh, that I've done with Ackerman and me, basically, right? And... Um, from the very beginning, you know, after having played out for this guy's music for decades, it was like it was like overwhelmingly wonderful to have actually be able to make a record, make a song, make a new music with me and Will as the main instruments in it. So I had this idea without one note written that I should make it like an, an album with Will. And I asked him if he would do it. And he said, yeah. And I confirmed it a bunch of times because I then started to book studio, uh, you know, because with Will, the kind of thing with Will is that he changes his mind. You know, he'll say, yeah, but then he'll start thinking about it. Then he'll say no. And, and I said, dude, I'm about to go into the studio and, you know, incur the expense of that because it ain't cheap, you know, to book a studio. So and, and it was Tom, you know, we started with Tom down at his studio in um, in Newburyport, Massachusetts, north of Boston. So I went down there with not I was I was freaking out. I'm driving there from my place in Vermont with no music, none, not one note, nothing. Okay. Zero. No, just the idea that I'm going to make an album with Will. Okay. And then you've been bringing these arrangements in there. You had a lot of stuff fleshed out. Nothing. Not before. No, this, no, but yeah, there, before, but nothing. now nothing. Yeah, sure. I mean, Zero. completely the opposite. almost. Completely the opposite. Yeah. And freaking out because I yeah. committed to, uh, you know, a week at Imaginary Road, booked that, and in at least two days with Tom at his studio. It's money, you know. It's like, oh, my God. What am I going to I can sit there and yuts around and I walk out with nothing. So, so 
I get there and then Tom does exactly what you said, you know, well, you know, first thing he had me do was walk across the parking lot and, and, and he <laughs> yeah. tapped, tapped his phone. He goes, I want to get the tempo and how you move through the world. I'm like, well, that's different. Well, okay. And then we go in and we build this cord, this cord, like you said, right. So we had all this sort of baseline stuff, right. Then it's like, what songs did you use to listen to and play with, with Will? Uh, his records, which ones were they? So we listened to a few in the control room. And, and I had said this, in, you know, this uh, before that he he had his keyboard uh, 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 patched to sound like uh, Will's guitar. Yeah. Okay. Tom did in the control room. So he starts playing around as if because he knows Will for a decade. He's worked with the guy or more and has listened to Will way before longer than that. He knows how to play the piano to make it sound the way Will would play the guitar. Wow. So he started to do that uh, with these sure. different songs. So we came up with six different songs that way where Tom would, would, would play around and end up with an arrangement that sounded like Will would, would have played it. Wow. And then I'd go out in the studio and he would, we recorded the music that the horn parts you hear on brothers were the ones we did this way. Those right. six, six of those songs, we did it at, at Tom's place on a Monday and a Tuesday. And then the next week we went up to uh, Will's, studio and will sits down and we start playing in these six songs and he picks up his guitar and starts tuning his guitar to the tracks that were playing that tom had played on his keyboard uh you know within the arrangement that the horn was on it and then we started recording will so we did that for six for again for two days monday and a tuesday again we recorded six of those songs with will playing and Will didn't play what you hear on the record. Will, well, Will didn't play it like you hear it on the record. He would play for, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes per song. And, and Tom Eaton is the one that edited it together to, to, to piece the song together the way you hear it now. Um, and then the last two days, Will brought in a, uh, two of the songs of his own with the guitar uh, parts um, that he played on. We captured on Thursday. And then on Friday, I added my horn parts to those two. And then Tom went back to of his Boston studio and for the next probably two, three, four months started adding bass and, and uh, keyboard and um, synth and a little bit of percussion and a little bit of guitar as well um, to what, to where you end up with brothers. So that all whole, and then as we went through that brothers was only going to be me and Will. And then we realized, and basically we all agree that we wanted to sort of not have overdubs and have really only us be on the record. Um, and then Tom's like, well, you can hire somebody else or you could have me as an artist. And if you gonna, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to give you everything artistically that I can. Um, but, um, I should be a brother as well. <laughs> so, so in fact, we agreed that that made perfect sense. And to the extent that we did that, Tom felt, uh, creatively, um, uh, uh, let loose to be as be artistic, be an artist, be as an equal artist on the on the project. And it certainly sounds like that. You know, he, he's he, you know, he played, he added just enough in the right places and just, you know, made it what it is, made that album what it is, you know, which is beautiful. Which is beautiful. You know, yeah. yes. Well, I mean it's um it's exquisite album. And yeah. uh as we re as we record the interview I uh earlier today I watched the video for Wild Bird that you ah. did and it's 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 incredible. It's just it's really a, it's really such a great interplay and there's so much space in it 
Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. tell, like you said, you have this. It's an interesting kind of thing because you hear, well, it's only us playing, and it's like it's 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 sparse but not sparse at the same time. It, it yeah. has fullness to it, but then there's a very specific. It's just the three of you brothers, as you said. Yeah, this music and and um, comparing it to you can if people like flow, this is like it sits in a place there, but different, though, because it pared down. But there's a lot of interplay and it, it just it was a great um, uh, companion piece to that record for me. Just mm-hmm, listening, mm-hmm. listening, listening to them in close time, like listening Interesting. To them together. Um, but uh, but also listening to um just the interplay in this and it's it's just really it's uh, it's really beautiful album and um it's uh and and uh and it's uh i I guess too it was like i guess it was there was also a lot of um uh, was there a lot of um i mean there's a great friendship there with you and will i mean oh my god to be able to not only have him work with your music but actually make music together has has got to be something that's just been quite a, a a blessing to to your life and well i mean you know first of all in 2003 when i showed up at the studio i was um over overwhelmed to the extent that i'm like a fanboy right i'm like oh my god there's will ackerman oh my god um I'm working with him, you know, he's my producer. And then we crossed over to Will, will you make a song that I can play along with and we can have a song together? Um, And I, you know, that night that we had done that, you know, and I sat there, (laughs) it crossed over during those, that week really from fanboy to, I don't want to, to peer to the extent that, okay, um, I have ideas about my music um, and I'm going to own them in this process and Will's the producer, but I'm also, if I want to say something, it started to bring me away from just, you know, the in awe-ness to, okay, listen, I have something to add here that I want to be able to add to this too, for, you know, uh, uh, creatively, right. In addition to the music um, uh, guiding it. And then <clears throat> when he sat there, started, you know, on the on the step in his studio, started to play the parlor guitar to end up with the song that's called At Last, which was the, the the first song that he and I ever did together. He's sitting there playing the guitar and I'm sitting there telling him, no, not that. No, not that. Oh, yes, that. Keep that. Keep that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like, wow, OK, well, now now we've gone from, you know, fanboy to I'm in a, uh, in a tiny way producing him that that right sure. okay so so that was sort of the seeds of what has turned out to be will is one of my greatest friends forget about the music he's one of my greatest friends in the whole world and and I and I think he would say the same thing about me there are very few uh where I, I have gone through all kinds of relationship stuff with the guy and I've talked about music with the guy and we've gone through processes together in terms of playing live and and uh, and and travel and he's the one that's responsible for me being in Mexico on and on and on so there's a whole whole thing now that's that's turned out so so the idea of now um, when you know Will's 70 years old now and I'm you know 64 years old now right so I, I wanted to capture this I wanted to memorialize and I hate to use that word but I, I wanted to to have a, a you document it, your document exactly you know, right, and capture this there. to where where we went from then to now, and 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 this is why it's called brothers because we really are 
we really are brothers, you know, and, and we fight like brothers and, and, and we love like brothers and we, and we, you know, and we care about each other that way, I think, you know, and it, and it, it, a, it sounds like it B there's a tremendous amount of trust that comes from it. Um, there's a trust in the, in the, in the making of the music, like a, a perfect example of that. Will is an incredibly specific, particular uh, musician as a producer and as an artist. And he has, and he, he likes control, right? He likes to know what, he doesn't like surprises as it relates to his music at all. He didn't hear these songs um, completed until he actually got the CD that was already pressed and <laughs> he was, took a car ride and listened to it in his car. That's the first time he ever heard all of the songs. Okay. Wow. And which is which which if you knew will the fact that there's no listening to every mix and making a change here and making a change there and do this and don't do that the only time he heard even two of them were his two before they were done so he could come up with titles for them okay okay right he never does okay. he never has done that before unless as far as i know so i mean it, it, but it's a good example of the trust that exists the brother the true brotherhood that exists uh in, in this in this way with us you know it's amazing and it's be- it's so amazing to have this and the embracing of this uh, in terms of uh, the, uh, you know, it's only been out for uh, less than a week now or something like that. I don't know how long it's, you know, it's last Friday or whatever. Um, so so it's just starting to make its way into the world. And those videos that you were talking about, video you, I, I've made, I'm the one that's made the videos. I made, I made one for each song now. Okay. And I'm sl- slowly releasing them one at a time and sit there on iMovie. A couple of them, like Wild Bird, I made on my phone, actually. That nice. one that you you know i i the iMovie on the iphone you know um but the music you know goes with the music obviously and that's you know that's how it goes yeah you, the visuals work well the visuals work well especially and ambient music lends itself to really specific, totally really totally. beautiful visuals to go with it and exactly. I, I wanted to um i wanted to uh to uh, ask you to this is just a quick little musical question because uh i've always and i've always liked this and for people that I think on the podcast, we you know, there's musicians that listen. People just enjoy the music and mm-hmm. and, and mixes of both. Um, just like um, the way that you use the horn, um, how how do you make decisions switching between the trumpet and the flugelhorn? Because people might, if they don't know the flugelhorn, I always say it's the it's the slightly you know uh, stubbier, <laughs> a little bit fatter trumpet, but um, more mellower tone. But how how do you exactly. how do you switch between the two? If you listen to most of, well, even my live stuff, but even my recorded stuff, it's probably 98% um, uh, flugelhorn okay. and maybe 2% trumpet. Okay. Um, I actually, maybe about a, two years ago, I, I, I bought a Martin. I used to play a Bach um uh stradivarius trumpet for many years and and it's a kind of a bright a bright ish horn um in terms of bright sounding you know um and again as a trumpet player again it's still more tone than than high note stuff for me so even in the trumpet i would look for tone so i ended up buying i've i've, I've been for years was looking for a, a martin committee a horn uh the kind that miles used to play almost exclusively and chet baker and it's well known uh, chet uh chris Bode plays one um well known okay. as a as a mellow sounding warmer sounding uh bendy ish uh, uh sounding trumpet 
Um, so I finally got one. So I, uh, there's a couple songs on Brothers that have it, uh, mostly with a mute. Um, uh, I tend to do Harmon mute stuff, a little bit like Miles did. Um, but uh, mostly, it's, it's, it's where, it's, a to, it's tonality, right? And there's a couple of recorded tracks I've done in session stuff where I've used it as well. Mostly, again, uh, with a Harmon mute, uh, where it's, it's, a tonal, it's a tonal uh, choice, right? It's, it's okay, uh, you know, here's the basic, you know, pad, warmth, foundation, um, and I use it almost, almost always as an ornament. Um, some of my early stuff on release, there's a song called Matt's Mood, where I played the main melody line with a muted horn, along with a flugelhorn, both at the same time. And there's a spa spacey part at the end of it, actually, which is only muted trumpet itself. But by and large, I'm, I'm a flugelhorn player. I mean, really, I mean, that's what I, that's, that's where I land my live stuff. Every once in a while, if I want to get bright, I'll, I'll pick up the trumpet. But but um, it almost always is flugelhorn for uh, for me because it's of uh, the tone. It's a much warmer, much rounder, yeah, warmer. You know, it's yeah. not good to play high notes yeah. on. Actually, you know, if I needed yeah. to go higher, I would want to play the pick up the trumpet. But uh, although Chuck Mangione tried to do it a little bit with uh, some of his stuff, you know, for sure. better or worse. Yeah, it's so yeah, it's so much more mellower. I mean, it's it's amazing right. the way the piping is, and I guess yeah. and it just makes it. It makes it like this. Uh, and I don't know. It just gives it so much. It's so much more um, warmth to it. It just shows you. It's almost it's like bigger. a bigger. It's a bigger instrument. It's mm -hmm. almost like a. It's almost like the a, a, like a mezzo soprano trumpet yeah. or something. Right like, or a know, cross between a, a between a French horn and, and, a, and a um yeah okay uh, French horn and, and, a, and, a, and a trumpet. You and know, the French it's like horn. That. It's a, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. A, a different key, a different. It's the same key. A flugelhorn is the same key as the trumpet, B flat uh, instrument. Uh, they're the same key. Okay. So there's no, you don't have to transpose or anything like that. You know, um, same valving and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's very exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Just warmer sound, bigger, yeah. bigger mm -hmm. and warmer sound. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, also, too, um, I also want to ask you about the when I I had heard the interview and and you were in Mexico and you were recording you were recording these concerts uh, with uh, the sunset, yeah. which people can sure. well I'll mention that it, so you can find it your on your YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was really uh, I really enjoyed listening to those. Um, just uh, it it just really came across that that landscape that vista inspires you. It came across oh, in the music. Yeah, and yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that, you know, and and uh, and and being there in that place and everything that it, you know, it means to you, uh, spending time there. Well, the first of all, it's it's a place that the little town that I go to called San Pancho is only two thousand people. Okay. It's a beach. It's a beach town. Um, there are maybe. I don't know, 200, 300 expats that come back here. Uh, I call them expats, but there are people from Canada and people that come down only in the, in the winter. And there's some people that stay there year round, but it's a small enough town. And um, as being a part of the music festival for all these years, I've made a lot of friendships there. So it's, it's the kind of place where I could be gone for a year and um, I turn left at San Pancho, which is actually one of the, I named a song that actually on my album next.
it's an hour north of Puerto Vallarta, which is a you know a very big, relatively speaking, a town uh, south. It's about a, uh, uh, this is about an hour north of there in the jungle and then to the beach. So I could go turn the left on the one main road called Tercer Mundo that that goes from the highway down to the beach, ends at the beach. And before I get to the end of it, I will have seen and said hello to two people, three people, four people before I even get to the end of the street. And I haven't, and I haven't been there in a year. Right. Mm. And it's and it's this sort of homecoming kind of a vibe. Right. And and it's just become more and more of that uh, uh, for me as the years have gone by. And now, you know, I'm 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 spending more time there. And part of that was was uh, unintentional in the sense that uh, in 2020, um, the last time I played a live show, really, other than sitting in with a, uh, a guitar player from time to time down there. Um, well, I brought my band for the San Pancho Music Festival, which was at the end of February in 2020. And I made a decision that year to stay for a month. I'm going to stretch it out to a month now. Stay all of March. So the pandemic hits. And I ended up staying there March and then April and then May. Like it was three months it turned into. And not only was it three months, the whole town was locked down. They basically blockaded the one street from the highway. You couldn't go in unless you could prove that you lived there. All the restaurants closed. It was as if the town was as it used to be 30 years before. No traffic, nobody on the streets. It was just, it was, it was in some ways quite magical and in some ways um, um, surreal, you know. And what ended up happening was I had had all my music equipment with me to play live. And when I play live, I have like a pedal boards with, you know, uh, effects and things like that. Right. Okay. Cool. That's how, that's what I normally, that's how I get all my reverb and all that stuff. I, I, I slather it up with some different uh, effects boxes, like a guitar player would, except that the horn goes in, you know, the microphone of a wireless mic that goes into the system and then, you know, goes through all these effects and, and then comes out into the PA system. Well, I'm there and I'm like sitting there every night at this place. I was fortunate enough to be at this, this uh, place called Casa uh, Acantilado, which is house on the cliff that this gentleman and his wife own. They're from Portland, a guy named Dennis and, and Kim Collard. They own this place. And I was able to stay there for this time. And it's perched, you know, up on uh, the Pacific, looking come due west and amazing sunsets almost every night. And it's a beautiful porch, it's unobstructed view. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, um, well, I want, I want to play in some way, you know? And so what I ended up doing was I, the only speed, I didn't have a PA system and I don't have an amp. So the only system I had <laughs> was a little Bluetooth uh, speaker. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right, a jam, jam bone speaker, yeah. right? Little speaker. And I, I'm, here I am running my horn through the system and I had a little a quarter inch to mini plug to plug into the little uh, directly into the into the Bluetooth speaker. And then I said, I'm going to do Facebook Live. So I had a I had a, a, um, a iPad that I would set up. You should have seen I like I like a, a lounge, like a like a porch uh, patio chair with, a you know, a. a, a, a iPad clipped to the top with the speaker sitting next to it. And I had my laptop underneath it 
with the uh, tracks playing on the laptop speaker getting picked up by the by the by the iPad uh, microphone and the mixed in with the little echoey horn that I had sitting next to the iPad microphone with the little Bluetooth speaker. And I started to do these little live shows, these live streams. Um, and and I made it and sounding actually relatively, you know, with with duct tape and bailing wire sure. made it actually sound relatively good, you know. And then I started to have these conversations with people and they started to tune in. And, and it was in the middle of the pandemic where nobody was going out. Yeah. So here I am basically offering not every night, but a lot. And I was by myself up on the hill. They had locked down the beaches. There were Mexican army people. There were submachine guns. You can't go on the beach. You can't wow. go into town. You can't go eat anywhere. Um, so I just sat wow. up on the hill and I started sort of giving sunsets to all these people that couldn't get out to see the sunset basically. Yeah. And it turned into that. And then I did it again this year. And there's a, a guitar player in my band, uh, Todd Boston, who's a, an amazing guitarist and artist. And he's also an amazing engineer. And he's, he's quite the equipment uh, geek. And he, he turned me on to this entire new process um, of how to broadcast uh, high quality. So I got a whole system now for that. Uh, I did it a little bit last year and I'll do it again this year when I go down there as well, you know, in the laptop, it's great, much totally different. It goes right into the laptop and high quality, you know, uh, broadcasting and it'll re it'll, it'll stream uh, live on, on uh, use this thing called restream where it'll, it'll do live on, on YouTube and Facebook and uh, Twitter and Twitch all at the same time, oh, you know, all nice. that stuff. So it's a whole thing now, but it's still the same sunsets, you know, sunset, the same sunset. And it's allowing you to, it's allowing you to play, you know, just, uh, just, just solo voice and, and, and everything. And And, a lot lot of improvisation, I guess. It's all improv. improv. It's just jamming. Totally. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes I I feel like it's a little self-indulgent, you know, here's Oscar noodling for an hour, but I'll, you know, I'll bring like a bottle of mezcal and I'll have some shots while I'm playing (laughs) as the night goes on, I get looser, you know, and the music gets a little more spacey and I talk (laughs) and I read poetry. So like a podcast in a way. Right. Yeah. But, But, but with a live background with the, the, you know, the phone, the, the iPhone 12, great camera showing the sun going down on the stars. And I have a little portable laser projector, like little laser beams and, you know, like from a disco and I'll put that on me and I just, oh, whatever, dude, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a way to sort of have a little show um, with just me, a little low, you know, low overhead, you know, <laughs> yeah, low overhead. Totally. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and uh, uh, they're listening to you talk about this and we have people that are going to your YouTube to, to take. This. Oh yeah. Cause, yeah, it, cause it's, it's slash yeah. Jeff Oster, O S T E R. That's right. There's a, and there's a whole bunch of those, those concerts there and they're yeah. an hour long, exactly. hour and a half, you know, like live streams I kept there. Yeah. Sunset concerts. I call them, you know, sunset shows. Yeah. And the videos also coming out for brothers is out too. You can, mm-hmm. those. And, same channel. Uh, and uh, same, same, same bad time, same bad channel. And, yeah, uh, exactly. And uh, I, uh, Jeff, thank you for being on Tones and Drones. You know, I, I, um, I, I, I really appreciate this very much. Sure. Um, enjoying too. your music and 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 uh, and uh, it's it's been great talking to you on this program. And you're always welcome back. The show is to just, it's the people come and talk and and come back and 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 it's it's been uh, it's it's been great speaking with you and you know I, I there's a couple of questions that I've kind of put on I have on the side on this on this podcast that I, that I asked that come repetitive questions and I wanted to just run one by you as we close um, 
And uh, I, I sometimes I'll ask people like, well, what do drones mean to you? What is the nature of the drone? But I wanted to ask you, what is the, um, what is your music creating your music? What is it? Um, what does it do for you? And even if you want to speak on it, what do you want it to, to what do you want to offer from your music to, to your audience? And I kind of phrase it both ways, kind of the personal. And if people want to say something that about what they want to share. Okay. With your audience musically. Well, Jason, thanks. First of all, thanks for, for making this possible and, and, and sharing music the way you do. And, and uh, it's nice to be able to get into some depth uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, the human side of it, other than just the music that ends up, you know, getting put out there into the world. Yeah. So, so to answer your, your, your question or observation, right? So for me personally, um, as many people for better or worse know about me, I, I like to talk, right? I, I'm, I'm good with words. I speak a lot. I talk a lot. Um, I'm verb, I'm verbose, right? I, I can, and I like to express myself through words. Right? Likewise, radio right? for years. <laughs> ex ex exactly. And I've been told, you know, with my voice, dude, you should do radio and all this other stuff. And, and, and I, and, you know, as a financial planner, um, I talk on the phone all day. All I am is all I do is talk. Right. And, and sometimes yep. too much. I've had people say, all right, Oster enough, you know, chill dude. But so, but the point is, it's no accident that the trumpet um, goes on my lips and I can't say one word when I'm playing the trumpet, right? I can't say one word. I can't talk. So how do I communicate? I can only communicate through the horn hmm. and through my breath through the horn, you know, because all the horn is, is really, it's an amplification system of my lungs and my lips vibrating. Right. That's really what it is. And you redirect the air with the valves. That's what that's that's it's just an amplifier, really. Mechanics, is what, of, it. mechanics yeah. of it, really. Right. Yeah. But the heart of it yeah. is what comes out the end of the, the bell for me, my heart. Things that I things that I might be even be afraid to say hmm. with words, I could say with my horn. Things where I'm feeling happy or sad. Um, that I might not be able to put into words, I can express with a note, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a very significant element of truth and sincerity, um, unfiltered, unadorned by words, not, and, and in many ways, not even limited by words that comes out of the horn for me. Okay. So, so it's a very pure expression of my, heart right of my inside my even my thoughts but instead of the thoughts coming out in terms of words they come out um they come out in tone right so there's the, all of that not to mention the fact that when i'm in the middle of playing um i'm not thinking i'm not even here in a way right i leave the planet mm. Uh, you know, it's like as Prince used to call it taking dictation when he would write songs and stuff like that is what Prince would call it. And it, it, to me, it's like whatever. I, the le It's not even trying not to think. It's just I just don't think it's just lost in whatever that moment is. Sometimes when I play live with my band, I, um, I watch videos of the of the performance and I won't even remember what 
uh, people were playing, other band members were playing uh, until I watched it afterwards. Oh, that's what they were doing. Right. Because I'm just lost. I focus on another musician that's playing or I'm playing or just my own thing. Right. So so that's, you know, for me, it's, it's that sort of a pure expression for the listener, the people it resonates with. Right. Um, it's not so far from being the same thing. I, I, I have people, many people that have uh, expressed to me in hearing um my the horn playing that I do um they many people will say to me that that they can hear uh, a song on the radio and not see who it is or on the tv and they know it's me they know the horn playing is is that oh that's Oster right that's 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 Jeff Oster playing and then they'll go look and it is Mm. so so there is a fingerprint you know, an oral, A-U-R-A-L fingerprint that I have, I think. And I think that it brings out, um, just like it's my heart being communicated, I think it's also their heart is what receives it. Mm. Even though it comes in through their ears, there's a heart opening aspect, I think. Um, It's almost like a mantra is with people that do yoga. And people, people that meditate, um, where, where it's a tone, but the tone is not necessarily something to think about. It's something to feel. And it's where you, where you lose yourself in it. I think that my horn playing has that effect hmm. um, on, on a lot of people. The people certainly that it resonates with, it, it definitely has that, that feeling to it. For me to be able to offer that in the world, a place of peace, a place of um, of, of lovingness, a, a place of, of joy, people cry. I mean, all that, you know, I mean, yeah. if and, and, and to be able to to not only be able to do that as a horn player by myself, but to surround myself with other artists that that um, uh, ornament that right, that that add to that and combine with that into more the alchemy of it. Right. That it, to me is it's the best expression I ever could hope to provide in the world, and it will outlive me, hmm. right? I'll yeah. I'll stop playing the horn when I stop breathing, um, but this music will always be here, which I think is is uh, um, wonderful. You know, it's 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 a, like a big long echo way past my lifetime. Like a big long echo. I it like is. that. Yeah, I like that. And and yeah. and on the the way that we close this podcast is always say. And it spoke to what you just said, because you used the words, may music bring you peace and joy. Absolutely. And so, and so Jeff, I'd love to have you back on the show. And, and I want to, I think we conclude this one. I offer to you, may music bring you peace and joy. And thank you for the music that you create. It is uh, from the heart and I'm happy to share it. And I thank you for bringing it out of me in words today. Deeply appreciative of, of, of you taking the time and having good questions. And it's great. All right, man. Yeah, take care, Jeff. Peace. Peace.
Thanks again to my guest on this episode, Jeff Oster. It was great talking to him. And you can find out more about his music by visiting his website, jeffoster.com. Oster spelled O-S-T-E-R. And selections heard during the podcast were And We Dance from his album Next and from his album Released at Last and also from Next Turned Left at San Pancho and from his album released, As I Live and Breathe. Going to close with a selection from his album Brothers, along with uh, Will Ackerman and Tom Eaton, a song called You Make My Heart. I'd like to remind you that you can find Tones and Drones on all the major podcast platforms and also on the NPR One app. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jason Miller, at 91.3 KVLU Public Radio. For more information about this station, visit kvlu.org. Until our next episode, may music bring you peace and joy.